Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. If you're a guest with us, we are so thankful that you are here. This is uh, Classic Christmas. This is our gift to Bastrop County. We really and truly want to give you the gift of knowing the great Savior in which we serve. And today, I'm going to give you a gift as well, personally. This gift was given to me, and it is truly one of the best things I've ever received. Happened September 26, 1996. I was in college, and I was called to preach in ministry, and I was listening to a a radio preacher that I really admired one day, and he was talking about the Bible that he used and how he studied the Bible. And I remember, I was like, I don't know what that means. That, That seems important, but I don't know how to do that. I don't even know what that means, or where would I start? So I prayed, and I prayed, God, I need you to show me what Bible to use, and I need you to teach me how to study the Bible. And that was my prayer. That was, that was it. Two days later, I get a knock at the door, and it's this wonderful old couple in our church, Mel and Laura Singer, and they said, we were in a bookstore two days ago, and the Lord told us to buy you this Bible, and the Lord told us to take you, and we want you to come to a class that we're starting on how to study the Bible, and I want to teach you how to study the Bible. Two days later, and I'll never forget thinking, I think this prayer thing really works. I I should have prayed for a motorcycle and a wife, but I got a Bible instead. And so they begin to teach me how to study the Bible. And And this is truly what I use to this day. I've been to seminary afterwards, but this is how I study the Bible. And it's really and simply asking questions of the text. And I want to teach you today so that you can do it yourself, so that you can see what God has for you. So here are the questions, and it's also the outline for our study tonight. The questions are six. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? You ask those questions of the text, and tonight we're going to look at two different texts, and we're going to compare how the shepherds found Jesus versus how the wise men found Jesus. They both found Jesus, but they started out in different places, and they had different paths to get there. And what I want you to do in this text, in these different texts, is Sometimes we'll hear a story of someone of how they came to know Christ, and you'll be like, well, that that really doesn't apply to me. You're going to find yourself in these stories. Now, you won't think to yourself, well, I'm exactly like the shepherds, or I'm exactly like the wise men. You'll think, well, I'm kind of like the shepherds here, and I'm kind of like the wise men here. So when we compare and contrast them, it's not this is the right way, this is the wrong way, this is a good way, this is the bad way. It's looking and finding where you are and how you can learn from these two groups in finding Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 as we read. So Matthew chapter 2 has the story of how the wise men found Jesus beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all his people, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd, who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. So skip down to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the children were. Then um, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now let's look at how the shepherds find Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them they, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the good word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, and of which they were just had as, as they had been told. So you see these two groups of men that find Jesus. And so let's ask the questions about the text. First questions, let's ask who and where together. Who are these people and where do they start? So the Bible says that the shepherds were watching the sky. So the shepherds were, uh, excuse me, the wise men were watching the sky, that they had been from the east. We don't know where they were from, but they were not from Israel. So they had not been brought up in the Old Testament traditions where they were watching for our Messiah. They had been brought up in another false religion. In fact, they're using the stars to go from astronomy to astrology and trying to predict things. And so they're watching this, but they, they are not born as believers or as people who are watching for Yahweh. But the shepherds were different. The shepherds were born in Israel. They would have been Israelites, and they would have had some education, and that education would have been learning how to read from the Old Testament. So they would have been taught to watch for the Messiah. They would have been taught about the signs. They would have been taught about what God, who God was and what he was going to do to redeem their people. So two very different groups, one that was born very far from God and one that was born very close to God. And that's not only in how they were in relationship to him, but the where question shows that the shepherds were very near to Jesus the whole time. The Bible says that the shepherds were nearby. In other words, after the angels told them, they went to Jesus and it took them a few minutes, maybe an hour to get there. They were just in the fields outside of where Jesus was born. They were very close. But the wise men weren't that way. The wise men were far away. In fact, we see in the text that the wise men come and they don't, they come to first Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, which is about six miles away. They would have been weeks or maybe even months after the baby had been born. And the reason we know this is because the Bible says that they came into a house. So instead of the manger, they came into a house. So Mary and Joseph 
had Jesus in a barn, but at some point somebody found out about it and took him in, so they came into a house. So anytime you see a, a nativity scene that's got the shepherds and the wise men together, grab those wise men and throw them away. All right, they're not there. So, so they're not in the same place at the same time, all right? So don't do that. Don't do that. So, so, so you see that you can see that, that one, one group, the shepherds, they were born knowing about God, and they were right near to Him. The other group, the wise men, they were born far from God, and they were even far physically from who He is. And I think it's a good place for us to start tonight. Some of you come in here, and you feel far from God. You think, man, I've, I've lived my life, and I wasn't raised in church. I don't know God. I don't know what's going on. In fact, you're kind of wigged out right now because the last time you were in church, there were choirs and suits, and now there's rock music, and you're like, church has changed. I'm, you know, and so, uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> so here's the deal. It, 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 where you start, let me show you how where you start, you can end up in some great places. Let me do that by one of the best Christmas stories that you're going to hear this season. It's a story about the most famous bank robbery in the history of Texas. Of course, right? So, this is the first national bank in Cisco, Texas. December 23rd, 1927, this bank was robbed, the most famous bank robbery in Texas history. Now, at this time in Texas history, 1927, four banks were being robbed on average every single day. Every day, four banks were robbed. And so, the, a man from this town decided to rob this bank, but he knew he would be seen and recognized. Now, the man should have never been able to rob the bank, because earlier in the year, he had robbed a bank, and he had been sentenced to 18 years in jail. But he had been pardoned by Ma, Governor Ma Ferguson. He literally bought his pardon. Ma Ferguson, in her uh, entire uh, governorship, gave 3,600 pardons, most of which people just bought, and she pardoned them. So he was pardoned, and so this man named Ratliff came into the Cisco Bank wearing a Santa costume. Therefore, people wouldn't recognize him, but also with the big belly, he could have bags under there that they could hold all of the loot they were going to steal. Three other men went in him, so four men went into this bank to rob it. Immediately, one lady escaped and began to shout, they're robbing the bank, they're robbing the bank. This was a common occurrence in this day. And so, the Bankers Association of Texas had made a proclamation. They would give $5,000 in 1927 money. $5,000 to anyone who brought in a bank robber dead. If you brought them in alive, you got zero dollars. That's literally what they said. So while they're in there robbing the bank, this shows up at the house. All of the men of Cisco, Texas with their guns, they all show up. Hundred, literally hundreds of men surround the bank with their guns and a shootout starts immediately. And so the, the four robbers, they are able to take some money. They take $12,000 cash, $150,000 worth of security, uh, securities. They take two hostages with them as well. They jump in the car that they had strategically placed. So these men are all on there on foot. And so one of the robbers does get shot, and the robbers themselves shoot two other people, but they're able to escape. And this is when the comedy of errors begins. The first thing that they notice is that as they're leaving, these men— 
that are surrounded, they didn't have their cars handy. So they've got to go, all go back to their places to get their cars. But the robbers, so the robbers are ahead. But they notice as they're leaving the bank, they forgot to fill up with gas and it's on empty. How many of you could really resonate with that? The only time that you pray is you're just like, Lord, 15 more miles, 15 more miles. So I know some of you are like that. So that's what the robbers do. They, they, they notice they're on empty. So they drive as far as they can. They're, they're afraid their car's about to die. So they stop another car. And they're going to they're gonna steal it. They're going to hijack it. So this car is driven by a 14-year-old boy who's, whose parents had sent him to town. Uh, and so they say, you know, they're, they're taking his car. Of course, they've got guns. One of them has been shot, and they're bloodied. And so he lets them have it. He says, sure. He runs out of the car and runs into the wood. So they load the, the wounded man, all three of them, the hostages, and the money in the car. They try to start it. The boy had taken the keys with him. <laughs> He told, he told the police later, he was like, my dad would have killed me if I'd have let my car get stolen. You know, I don't care if you got guns or not. Dads are what you need to be worried about, ladies and gentlemen. So, so now they, they've got to get back into the car. They've got to load their wounded person. They've got to get back into the car. In moving back into the original car that's almost out of gas, they forgot the money. They left the money behind, and all of the money was out, uh, captured or taken back right then. They drive a little way further. Of course, the car dies. They're now on foot. A thousand people over the next seven days will participate in the largest manhunt in Texas history to chase them. In fact, it's the first time airplanes were used. It's, uh, I mean, it's a big, big manhunt. And eventually, all of them were captured. One of them, the one that was shot, actually died during this process. He's the saddest of all of them because he hadn't planned to rob the bank. They had needed a fourth man, and he had known one of the men, and they talked him into it that morning. He had never broken the law. He had never done anything wrong. He made one bad decision, and he died in that. The other three were eventually captured. One of them was sent to the electric chair, and he died. The one who was the Santa Claus he was uh, sentenced to death, but it was taking so long in appeals, the people of the town rushed the uh, jail and actually lynched him. But the fourth person is the one that's most interesting for us. The fourth person, was his name was Robert Hill. He was sentenced to 99 years in prison. And he went to prison and he escaped three more times and was caught every single time. He was a career criminal. He was put into a reformatory when he was eight years old, when he was abandoned by his parents. And the rest of his life, he had been in and out of prison. On the fourth time, they put him in maximum security. He never got to leave his prison. And he was sitting there one day with a cellmate. And his cellmate said, you know, you've made quite a few bad choices in your life. And he said, yeah. He said, you're going to die here, aren't you? He said, yes. And he said, why don't you do something different with your life? And he said, what can I do? I'm in jail. And his cellmate says, let me tell you about Jesus. And his cellmate leads Robert Hill, a career criminal sentenced to 99 years in jail, to Jesus Christ. He bows his knee on the prison floor, gives his life to Jesus Christ. For the next 15 years, he is a model prisoner. He is a changed, or the Bible would use the word transformed man. So much so that in, that in the 40s, he is given a partial parole. Um, and then later, Judge John, or, uh, Governor John Conley in 1960 gives him a full parole. He moves back to his hometown, this town. Everyone knows who he is. He never, makes, uh, he never hides who he was. He gets married. He joins a church. He helps start a church. He becomes a deacon in the church. He celebrates 50 years of marriage. And today, Robert Hill is dead on this earth, but he is alive in heaven. 
heaven for eternity. Here's the point of all of it. It's not where you start that matters. It's important. It's where you end up that matters. Some of you are here today, and you feel like you have started behind. You didn't grow up in church. You're an adult. You don't know what's going on. This is all new. It's not where you start. The wise men started a million miles from Jesus, but they ended up in His presence. Now, you might be fortunate today, and you might be like the shepherds. You might have grown up in church, but frankly, we see a little apathy in the shepherds as well because the wise men saw this star. The wise men saw this star rise, but the shepherds weren't paying attention, and they missed it. If God wouldn't have intervened in a very supernatural way that we'll talk about in a second, they would have missed it as well. You might be one that says, I know all this church stuff. This is very familiar for me. I know what's going on. I know it. But, but you're really and truly not looking for God. Look at where you are right now. We want you, and God wants you much more importantly, to be right next to Him, bowing your knee in front of the Savior. It doesn't matter where you start. Where you end up is extremely important. Second question, what? What, what happens to these people? Very dramatic and different experiences for the two. The shepherds by far get the coolest experience. The Bible says that they're out in the fields at night. The shepherds would have been lowly uh, men. They wouldn't have had much money. They would have, these are not the owners of the sheep. These are the hired shepherds. They're on the night watch, so they are the B team for sure. And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the sky opens up, and an angel speaks to them and says, today, the, a Savior has been born. And then the Bible says, a multitude, a heavenly host joins. That word host is an army term. It means the, a, a massive amount of angels are there. And they always say, don't be afraid. It's an army of angels. And it's now turned into a choir, and they sing praises to God. So we don't know how many there are. The Bible says that there are 1,632 angels alive. Don't write that down. I'm lying. I made that up. All right, so I just wanted to see if anybody like, 1,600. All right, so yeah, I don't know how many, but there's a bunch. That's the idea. There's this whole group of angels, and they're there, and they're singing the praises of God, and it is and it's this magnificent moment, and then one angel speaks to him and says, today, right down the road in Bethlehem, you can find the Savior of the world. This is how you'll know who He is. Go and witness to Him. And I'm kind of, I'm always kind of perplexed at the shepherd's response. The shepherd's response, I mean, listen, I, you know, we want to do our best to present God today, but, but I mean, if the roof tears off and a bunch of angels are singing, wouldn't you go, whoa, that was crazy, right? Instead, they go, you know what, we should go check this out. That's all they say. I mean, you're just like, you think? I mean, you, you know, and so it really seems underwhelming to me. And so they do, though, they go and they check it out. Now, the wise men are different. What happens to the wise men? They see a star. Now, scholars are, are, are divided. Some say that this was a, a special occurrence of a star that was unusual. Well, if that's the case, it w- uh, we, you know, we don't know for sure. And some think that they have some kind of revelation from God to watch for this certain star at this certain time to follow Him. Either way, God used this star, but it was a very subtle thing. You don't find tens of thousands of people coming and following this star. You find a few wise men from the east. That's all you find. And so it's a very, very subtle moment, but that's all they need. Be like the wise men. Sometimes we're waiting for this massive thing to come about, and God just sends us a service like classic Christmas to get us back and to say, hey, I want you to come back to me. 
We're going to do the very best that we can as a church to portray this great God well. But I'm here to tell you, it's nothing like when you find him. Be like the wise men. Be looking. Don't need drama or dramatic. Let God woo you, even in subtle ways, because the wise men get to see God. Now, the wise men do experience a miracle that the Bible says that the star moves in front of them. But the start of it is what's really interesting. So it's these very uh, different types of events. One of them is very dramatic, and one of them is very subtle. Be one who's always watching so you can find the subtle. Now let's look at when. When did this happen? The Bible says shepherds got immediate information. The angel said, today a baby has been born. So Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary has the baby in the manger or in the stable. They put him in a manger. Joseph is there, and then the angels come, and then the shepherds come and visit. So all of that happens within a short period of time today. But the wise men are different. The wise men, the star rises when the, she- when the baby is born, and then they've got to travel. So they're there a long time afterwards, and they enter the house. So that's why we don't see them at the same time. So you might be like one of those groups. You might be like the wise men, and you might be thinking, man, timing is so important, isn't it? The way that we time things and how that we time them out. And the problem with Christmas so often is we have all of our normal life plus all of the extra things that we have to do. All of the parties and the gifts and the exchanges and and all of those things. And so when God chooses to show us the timing matters to Him, and you don't get to choose it. You don't get to choose where it is. So, write this down. It's not too late, and you are not behind, but you must act now. God chose this time to be in your presence. God chose this time to be around you and to give you a chance to come into Him. You must act now. This is the moment. Now, timing-wise, a lot of you are thinking, this is not a good time for me. Man, I've got all this. In fact, you know, later on would be better. It's not a good time for me. You've got to make a choice that if God moves in this subtle way by bringing you the gospel tonight, that He's calling you to act now and respond. Why is it important to act now? The next question is why? Why? The Bible says the answer is the same for both of them. And here's the answer. This is good news, great joy for all people. God being born into the world is good news of great joy for you and you and you. This is for all people. Now, think about how tone matters in a conversation. So you guys hear my voice. I, I uh, recently took up smoking, so uh, it's, been, it's been great for me. Uh, it's been losing a lot of weight. Uh, so, yeah, so... So, it's a little bit hard to hear my tone today. My tone, you know, everybody's like, hey, you finally sound like a man instead of a little girl, uh, which that's so. But let me, let me do my best to show you how important tone variation is in getting a message. So, so I've got, I've got uh, uh, adult kids, and they call home from college. Now, you're always excited when your adult kids call home uh, because, you know, basically you look at each other by three o'clock every day when it's just you and your wife, and you're like, I'm out of things to talk about. And so when the kids call home, you're like, something new is happening somewhere in the world. So, so, but you can tell by the tone what's about to come. It's not what they say, it's the tone. I've had calls from college from my kids who say, hey, I need to tell you something. 
I guarantee they didn't get an A on the test. I 100% guarantee. I need to tell you something. Every single time. But if the tone is, hey, I need to tell you something, something good's about to go down. It's all about tone. It's all about the way you communicate with tone. Well, this is the tone. It is good news. It is great joy. And it is for you. God came into the world to give you good news. It is for you today to know that a Savior has been born, that he will be born King of the kings and Lord of the lords. It is good news, and it ought to prompt in us great joy for all people, for all people that Jesus Christ came into the world. It's so important. The why is that he wants you to see and to sense this great news. Now, Be careful in looking for the wrong thing. The shepherds get to see the host of the army. The shepherds get to see uh, the angels speaking. The shepherds get right there and immediate access to Jesus. But think about how they respond. The shepherds respond by saying, let's go check this out. I mean, in fact, they say, let's go see. They're just there to like, well, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Let's go see. The The wise men are very different. The wise men see a single star rise and travel long distances, and they say, we've come to worship him. Here's the point of all of it. Don't wait for a sign today. Signs don't change people. Signs do not change people. Only the Savior can do that. Look, we work hard on classic Christmas. Man, it, it is a big endeavor with lots of money and lots of moving parts and lots of practice. And man, we work as hard as we can on that. But this doesn't change people. What we're trying to do tonight is say, come and meet the Savior and watch your life be changed forever. Jesus Christ changes people. And we know that because the Bible says that the shepherds leave not the angels, but leave from just seeing a baby in a manger glorifying and praising God. Once they saw Jesus, they were changed and transformed, and they go away, and they tell everyone they know, man, Jesus, has the, the Savior, the Messiah, has come into the world. So how does this work? That's the last question. How? How does all of this work? Well, frankly, in order for you to meet God, you need a miracle. You need a miracle. The shepherds got the miracle on the front end. They got the heavenly host. They got the angels singing. And then they saw the Messiah. The the, uh, wise men got their miracle on the back end. They had the, the star raised. And then when they finally got to Jerusalem, the last six miles, the star led them and stopped over the house. So the shepherds got a miracle to start their journey. The uh, wise men got a miracle to end their journey. The only way that you're ever going to be transformed, how does this work? You've got to experience a miracle. Well, how do I do that? Let me show you some from one of the most theological movies that you could ever watch. It's called The Sandlot. All right, so a lot of good theology in The Sandlot. So Uh, A lot of you know it, so it's where we get the famous line, you're killing me smalls, which is just a great line. Um, And so, but if you've never seen it, let me explain to you what's what's happening right now. So, uh, a new kid, smalls, he moves to town, 
and this group of kids in his neighborhood, uh, they're just eat up with baseball. All they do is baseball all the time. Well, Smalls is a nerd and has never played baseball, has never done anything. So now he's trying to hang out with kids. That's, that's all they do all their life. And he can't keep up. And he's, he's kind of going to be on the outside. You'll know who Smalls is. He's got a black eye and he's got this big dorky hat on. And so, but Benny is the leader of the group. And Benny is the best player. And Benny wants to invite Smalls in. So he wants to, you know, prop Smalls up so that, so that the other guys will accept him. And so I want you to watch this scene of what it looks like to experience a miracle. Okay, bro. I helped the guy once. Okay. Well, tuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. Steady. How do I catch it? Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. You participate in miracles. Now, God does miracle, but you don't stay on the sideline and watch miracles. You have a part to do, and it's a small part, but it is your part of faith. It's sitting there and saying, this is all I've got. Man, God, you've got to hit it right here because I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm out of my league, and I don't know about these people, but here's what I know. I need a miracle. This is what I got, God. And you've got to do the rest, but I've got to participate in this miracle. I've got to stand up and say, God, I need a miracle in my life. I need you to do something new and different and better during Christmas. And then, 24, God, I need a miracle in my life. Now, listen to me. Don't waste your miracle. Let's assume that God is answering prayers right now and giving miracles away. Don't waste your miracle. Don't hold your miracle up and wish for more money. Don't waste your miracle like that. Because the shepherds had no money, and they watched the wise men who had all the money in the world come and lay it at the feet of Jesus because they knew that they had found something greater. Don't waste your miracle. Don't waste your miracle of saying, you know what, this isn't a good time. Maybe, maybe God will be in the miracle business, you know, first of 2024 when I get through the Christmas season. Don't waste your miracle. Ask now. Raise your glove now. Say, God, send me a miracle. Now, here's what's great about the response to this question. 
We didn't hand out a glove to everyone today, but we did hand out candles. So grab your candles, and I want you to stand to your feet. In a moment, we're going to sing, and you're going to be able to raise your candles. But here's what's great about the miracle of God. You are not waiting on a miracle. The miracle has happened. God is waiting on you to respond to the miracle. The miracle is that the baby who was born of a virgin in a manger lived a perfect, sinless life. That baby died on the cross for your sins. Good news, great, great joy, all people. God died, Jesus died for the sin of all people. He was buried in a tomb, and on a third day, we got our miracle. On Easter morning, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You are not waiting on a miracle. God is waiting on you to apply the miracle to your life. You have a miracle. You can say, God, help me come back to you. God, I've never met you for the first time. Help me to know you. Jesus, I've been apathetic, even though people from miles away are coming to you. I've always known where you are, and I've not come back. Or Jesus, I feel like I've been a million miles away, and tonight you're drawing me in. Or God, honestly, I just came because this is what we do during Christmas. We try to attend one service, and now all of a sudden, I'm being confronted with the timing that this is the moment and this is the day that God is calling you back into His presence. Don't miss the miracle. The timing is now. Act now. I'm going to invite you right where you are to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, as you do, no looking around. This is just for me and you and God. But you've got your candles in your hand. Some of you tonight would need to say, I need a miracle. I need to come back to God. I've been away from Him. Maybe I'm like the shepherds, and I've always known where God was, but I, I've just not been paying attention. Or maybe you're like the wise men who say, you know what? I just didn't know. I wasn't raised in this, but I need to come to God tonight. I've been away for a season or maybe for your whole life. And tonight I'm saying, God, use the miracle of the virgin birth through the resurrection to bring me back to you. If that's you, no one's looking around. I'm not going to call you out. And I'm not even going to call you forward. But I want you to raise your hand for a miracle. I want you to raise that candle right where you are. Good. Who else? Raise that candle. Good. Good. No one's looking around. Do it. This is for God. Good. I'm coming back. Good. Fantastic. Put those candles down. Today, for the first time, if you would say, Jesus, I need you to come into my life and forgive my sins. If you would say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, that you were buried in a tomb, and that you came alive, and that you would let Jesus, this baby who was born of a virgin in a barn, but who was raised, that knew no sin, that died for us to come into your life, ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life today. Ask Jesus to come in and set you free. Declare that you believe he died on the cross for you, that he was buried and that he was raised. And Jesus will bring you back. 
if you're doing that right now, this is your next step. Just start coming to church. Just start coming to church. Don't put it off. Don't be like, next year we'll get in the habit. Just start coming to church. Man, we've got all kinds of stuff kicking up in January. New groups, new ways for you to connect with Jesus, a lot of new events. Just make a decision. I am going to start walking towards Christ. And we'll help you from there with those next steps. If you're here tonight, man, and you pray as we pray this prayer and we sing this song, when you raise that when you raise that candle, ask God for a miracle to bring you closer through Christmas and through 2024 than you ever have been before. God, bring me to you. Jesus, we thank you for answering our prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.